Hey everybody, it's Pastor Will. Welcome or welcome back to the Brazos Fellowship Podcast. Thank you for listening today. And at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast if you aren't already. But more importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take the next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. All right, so good to see you guys. Thank you for being here today. We are kicking off a brand new series entitled Unsettled this morning. And this is going to be a series that will take us all the way up to Easter Sunday, which is this year, April 17th. Sometimes people are like, when is Easter? And it's always good to kind of remind you, April 17th. So um, we're going to be doing over the next four weeks this series, Unsettled. And here's how I'd like to get started. I want to ask you a question. What, do you ever have a time, maybe you're there right now, where you feel like your faith is a little unsettled? Maybe in one area of life or another area of life or maybe multiple places you feel a little unsettled in your faith. You're not sure what to believe or how to think about certain things. Or maybe a circumstance happens in your life. Many times this is how it, it, it transpires. A circumstance happens in your life where you can't really quite make sense of it all, and it causes you to question your faith, and it's really difficult, and maybe it's meeting somebody you never thought you would meet. It, it sort of destroys a category that you put on certain types of people, or it, it was, it's just been really a challenge to you, or maybe you're kind of going through a time that a lot of people call it deconstructing of your faith. Uh, this is kind of a, a popular thing to do these days, deconstructing of faith. If, you've, if you are in a time like that, where you're questioning things and kind of going back through your faith, and I'm so glad you're here this morning, and I hope you will stick with us through this series, because if you are in that place, you need to know you are in good company. Because Jesus has these four incredible conversations with four individual people after the resurrection, after he is resurrected, where he confronts some of the most common misconceptions of faith that we all have, me included. We all will struggle with these things at some point, and he helps to bring some clarity to these issues. Now, what's really cool about these four conversations after his resurrection that he has, three of them are in the last two chapters of the Gospel of John, and we're going to be starting this week by looking at them and looking at them chronologically uh, as they happened. But before we dive into those conversations, I want to just lay a little groundwork that I think would be helpful for you. Here's the first thing I want to tell you, <clears throat> that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is a historical fact. It is a historical fact. Now, I don't have time to go into all of that information right now, and I've given several messages. Many of them were on Easter over the last several years, probably the last five or six years. But even back, the first message of this year, our Church at Home message that's online at our website, if you want to check that out, I gave some of the historical evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ and how that gives us a living hope today in uncertain times that we can overcome fear and anxiety simply by the anchor of understanding that that is not a metaphor, it's not a legend, it is a historical fact. Now, when I say that, let me say this. The historical fact of the resurrection of Jesus is different from any other historical fact in this, that if I believe, let's say, Julius Caesar rose to power in Rome in 49 B.C., that historical fact, whether I believe it or not, does not have the power to change my life today. But if I truly believe, 
truly believe the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it has the power to completely, wholly, and, 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 and totally change me as a human being from top to bottom, from head to toe, my soul, everything transformed. It is by meeting the resurrected Jesus and by uniting your life with him that our life is transformed. And this is a powerful truth that we're going to be talking about and that these four conversations, as we bring them together, they help us to understand what is it like? What should it be like even now? And if you're a Christian, walking in a relationship with a resurrected Jesus, what would that be like to actually meet him? And each one of these stories will address another issue that we all have faced at some time or another. And so... Um, as, we, uh, as we get ready to dive into this idea, I just want you to be open to say, yeah, what are those hangups for me? So here's the first conversation that we're going to talk about today. It is the person of Mary Magdalene, or Mary of Magdala, all right, which was the town that she was known to be from. Magdala, if you thought about uh, the Sea of Galilee, kind of being in that shape, up on the northwest corner near Capernaum, where Jesus actually spent a lot of time, was the little town of Magdala, where Mary was from. And Mary is such a fascinating woman. Um, we've got bits and pieces in the Gospels that tell us a, a little bit about her life. Now, she was not numbered among the 12 disciples, but she, here's one thing that is absolutely true about her. She was one of the earliest followers of Jesus Christ, for sure. Another thing that's true about her and every other woman that followed Jesus, it was a part of his followers, is that Jesus treated them radically different than other rabbis and spiritual leaders of his day. He treated them with great dignity, respect, and worth. He, uh, he ascribed worth to women that were not given in their day at all. And so this was an incredible truth about her. And she was traveling with these followers, the 12 disciples, along with many other people. She traveled with these followers of Jesus Christ as a contributing member. She helped a lot. As a matter of fact, we see her over and over throughout the ministry of Jesus. She's present all the way down to the crucifixion. Now, here's an interesting point. She was present at the foot of the cross when the 12 disciples had run and hid in fear, save only John. John was the only disciple that was there, along with Mary, the mother of Jesus. So it was the two Marys and John there. And she was one of the last ones. And then three days later, on the first day of the week, on Easter Sunday morning, it was Mary Magdalene who got up early, went to the tomb, and she was going to anoint Jesus' body. This was kind of part of burial rites and tradition of that time. She went to do it, and she was the first to discover the tomb is empty. She was shocked, ladies and gentlemen. Whenever Jesus talked and he spoke repeatedly about his death, burial, and resurrection, whatever she and the rest of the disciples and followers of Jesus Christ thought that what he meant when he talked about resurrecting from the dead, they didn't clue into the fact that he meant a physical resurrection. So when she got to the grave, she was utterly shocked. It's important for you to understand that on the first Easter Sunday morning, there was not a group of people outside the tomb huddled around going, okay, five, four, three, two, no. 
nope, they, they were like, this, this whole movement is, is, it's over, man. Curtains, is, there's no more, there's no more Jesus followers. There is no more movement. There is no more this thing called the way and the, the followers of Jesus. It's all over in their mind. That was their preconceived notion of what had happened. And she was exactly the same. And it was Mary Magdalene who had the first conversation with the resurrected Jesus. Let's take a look at that conversation right now. You want to? Okay. John chapter 20, starting with verse 11. Here's what, how it went down. So Mary stood outside the tomb crying. Of course she was crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. Now, this is the kicker. This is kind of crazy. You're not going to believe this, all right? Let's look at the next verse together. But she did not realize that it was Jesus. Now, here's the question I want us to think about for a minute. We need to hang out here for just a minute because this is really important. What kept Mary from realizing that it was Jesus? Why couldn't she see him? And there's been a lot of explanations for this given throughout the years of Bible commentators and, and historians, etc. And, and another is just a side note. Also, it didn't seem like she understood she was talking to angels either. You know, what's interesting is that this is one of the first conversations we ever see where a human being is speaking to angels and they aren't like prostrate on the floor thinking they're going to die. She somehow is not picking up on what's happened, Right? One of the explanations is she's utterly blinded by her grief. She just cannot see it because she's so sad, which would make sense. Here is this, this Messiah, this anointed one, Jesus the Christ, who had changed her life in every way conceivable, relationally and spiritually and, and, and every other way, and, and emotionally and socio sociologically in terms of her friend circle had radically changed. Everything about her had changed. And then he was gone. She watched him brutally murdered before her eyes. So, of course, she would be mourning in this moment. But I think there's something deeper going on. There was a deeper level of expectation that she had that was guiding her sight she didn't see the resurrected Jesus because she didn't expect to. She wasn't looking for him. As a matter of fact, when she finally saw him, what, did she, what was she expecting to see? Who did she see? She was looking for a landscape guy, a gardener of the, of the graveyard. Here's what verse 15 tells us. Thinking he was the gardener, hello, wait a minute, right? She said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. <clears throat> Why couldn't Mary recognize Jesus in this moment? Let me give you one explanation. I wanted to give you a couple, actually. I'm going to start with this, the first one. The first one was the idea that Jesus' resurrected body had been wholly transformed and perfected. He had his body now was completely perfect it was the heavenly version of 
our bodies, and it's not just his body. <clears throat> We're told later in the New Testament that when um, in his return or when this life is over, we shall be like him. We will be made in the same stuff as Jesus. So in other words, Jesus is saying, hey, you like this body 2.0? You're going to get one too, those of you who are followers. <laughs> well, it can't get hurt, doesn't wear out, doesn't get tired. It's like amazing. You're going to really like this body. It's all the things this body promised but couldn't deliver on, right? It's going to be really good. You're going to love this. But so... With that new body, even the people who knew Jesus prior, it caused them not to quite recognize him right away. We see this with the disciples on their road to Emmaus, right? They, talk, they were talking to Jesus for hours. Jesus explains the entire Old Testament and explains him through it. They still didn't understand until he breaks the bread and literally like, oh, my gosh, we've been walking with Jesus. We didn't even know. So there's something about this body that's a little different. It didn't quite couldn't quite connect the dots, but I think there's something even deeper happening with Mary here, because I think deep down in Mary's psyche, in her mind, just like with all of us, she has a filter. She has an internal narrative that helps her to interpret reality. All of us do this. We have categories we put people in. We have things, ways in which we understand and try to understand reality, right? And this is what she was doing. So something about that filter in Mary's mind of what she expected, it blinded her from seeing the actual Jesus right in front of her at this moment. In other words, Jesus and his salvation did not fit her expectations. His, his salvation and the way in which he has chosen to bring about his salvation, she didn't expect this. It's like, whoa, wait a minute. I, 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 I can't believe this is, it, she, she still hasn't come to the, to the realization, right, in the story yet, but just wait, she, she will, she will. Uh, but in this moment, what's interesting about Mary is that she kind of represents in a symbolic way all of humanity. She represents all of us. That there's all, all of us bring to Jesus a pre conception about him, a set of notions or filters or our internal narrative, if you will, um, uh, a uh, predisposition that is not quite him, that we have to change. As a matter of fact, the apostle Paul in Acts chapter 13, he talked about the entire known world did this. The people of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognize Jesus. Like everybody was clueless about the resurrected Jesus. And that just like Mary, we all do this at times. That we get confused thinking, well, wait a minute. Jesus doesn't fit what I thought he fit. I, I don't know really what to do with Jesus. And sometimes um, those times happen at more, some of the most challenging moments of our lives. The times where we don't recognize Jesus many times are times that are painful they are delays, setbacks, they are unexpected frustrations. Sometimes they are illnesses or ailments that happen in our own body that are just painful, they hurt, or they ha they're happening to somebody that we love. It's going through the death of someone that we love. It's walking through some symbolic crucifixion in this life where you think there is no way God could work something good out of this. There is no way he can work, he's gonna bring good out of this. There's no way Jesus could be in the middle of this situation. 
And it is our preconception, our, uh, our expectation that blinds us in those moments to the fact that Jesus is right there and he's standing right in front of us and he is right there with us with his hand out saying, I'll walk with you through this. Through this darkest valley of your life. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, David said, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Sometimes it's in those darkest moments that we realize some of the most profound truths about who God is. If we'll just lay our preconceived notions and expectations aside, the filters and all of the stuff, the narrative that we keep trying to tell ourselves and just say, I'm gonna just let God be God and I'm gonna let him, what he says is true of him, I'm gonna believe it, I'm gonna trust it, I'm gonna follow it. But we don't have it in ourself many times to do that. It's something that we just have to accept about him and that we have to let him, we ask him to do it through us. And the Apostle Paul talks about this in Rome in his letter to the Roman church, Romans chapter three, verses 10 and 11, <clears throat> where he says, there's no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. Now, what does he mean by that? What he means is that there is no one who seeks the true God. Make no mistake, humanity, we have always sought the divine. We have always sought the, the spiritual. But, but the human heart wants a God that fits my desires. What I, what will, what you, deep down, what we want right? In other words, we want a God we can control. We want a God that doesn't challenge our deep down desires, that doesn't challenge our expectations, our narrative, our filter, our categories. We want a God that plays along with all of that, and that's exactly what Mary did too. So whatever the expectation was that was going on in the mind of Mary Magdalene, it kept her from seeing the actual Jesus standing in front of her in that moment. And she hit a crossroads, and we all hit this crossroads. I either hold on to my expectation and I reject the actual Jesus, or I let go of the expectation and I hold on to the actual Jesus. One of those two has to happen. But the beautiful thing, well, the beautiful good news of the Gospels in terms of the resurrection of Jesus is that Jesus always initiates with us and takes the first step towards us. And, and I love this because God is not over there sitting with his arms crossed, tapping his foot, saying, well, as soon as you get your act together and figure this out and understand who I really am, then I'll come to you. Then you can have a relationship with me. If he did that, we would all be utterly lost and we would never find God. But he seeks us out. It is Jesus who asks the question of Mary. In John chapter 20, verse 15, look at this question, I love this. Why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Why are you crying? And who is it you are looking for? Mary. Who are you deep down actually looking for? What is it that you hope to find here that you think is going to save you? We still do this. This is a great question for all of us asked today. Who is it you're really looking for? 
Not the, not the church answer, not the one you think you're supposed to give, but what is the deep down, I'm talking about soul level, what drives you, what you think is actually someday gonna give you peace and comfort, confidence, security. Is it finally finding somebody who will love you, another human being? Is it achievement? If I could just be like the greatest, the best, if I could just have a million dollars in the bank, a million, five million, ten million, whatever, whatever that number is you think, if I could just have, then, man, I would be like, so good, right? Not saying a little money couldn't solve some problems, right? But <laughs> deep down, this is a really important question. I think maybe for the rest of Mary's life, she thought about the double meaning that Jesus had behind that. Who is it you're really looking for? Are you looking for the actual Jesus or some version that you've created in your mind of me that isn't actually me? And that's the one you tend to reject. You've got to come and accept who I really am. In other words, it's like, Mary, I know you love me, paraphrasing what he's saying, but your understanding of me is just too small. You've got to let me out of that box. Stop pushing me into this expectation that you have. And, and, and Jesus here in this conversation, and I love it because Jesus asking these questions not as like a sergeant looking for submission, but he is, he's asking these questions as a compassionate, loving father trying to help his daughter find insight. And I love that. And he wants that for you today too. Where have you been putting up a, a wall between you and God saying, nope, <laughs> can't trust you with this? because you're trusting someone else, something else. There is some other pseudo-God, some other self-manufactured Savior that will break your heart that is not Jesus that's trying to take the place. But Jesus always initiates with us. He comes to us and he calls us by name to him, to the actual Jesus. And I want you to notice here in this next part of the conversation, <clears throat> the order of things, okay, in verse 16. So Jesus says to her, Jesus says to her, Mary, she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. For the first time, she's like, oh my gosh, it's you. <gasps> what? She's the first human being, and this is the moment where the resurrection of Jesus became real. This is the moment in history when it finally dawns on people, the first person. Jesus has come back from the dead. Oh my gosh, what all could that possibly mean? Well, first of all, it means that God pursues us. He doesn't wait for us to pursue him. And when he does, he calls us by name. This is so precious. Again, or, notice the order of things. She doesn't say, Rabboni. And then he says, oh, Mary, I didn't see you there, right? That's not how it went down. He says, Mary, right? He calls her out. Ladies and gentlemen, this is not only how salvation works, this is how our relationship with God works every single day of your life. He is always calling you by name to himself, constantly, because he loves you. He's calling you to himself. Salvation is never something we initiate. 
It is always something our Father in heaven and His Son with the Spirit have worked in conjunction together to provide for us. It's such a beautiful gift. It is awesome. And in that moment, she cannot believe it. She leaps towards him and grabs onto him and doesn't want to let go, right? I lost you once. I don't want to let, let go of you ever again. And here's how we know that happened. In verse 17, Jesus said to her, do not hold on to me. <laughs> I'm about to fall over, right? She is so blown away. She loved him so much and still does and can't believe he's alive and it just makes sense, not only all the time that she spent with him, but he was the man, he was God in the flesh that set her free. Over in Mark chapter 16, verse 9, and in the Gospel of Luke, this is corroborated, that she was possessed by seven demons, and Jesus set her free. I can't even imagine the torment this woman was under. The slavery, internal slavery, that she felt every day of her life until she was set free by Jesus. And by the way, he still does this for people. He sets them free from their past ghosts, demons, demonic incarcerations, to lies, to addictions. He can still do this, and he does do this. But he set her free, and now you begin to understand this is why she's like, I'm never letting you go. I watched you die once, and I will not let you go. And Jesus responds to her, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. He's reminding her of a promise that he made just a few chapters before we get to chapter 20. I think it's chapter 14, 15, 16, right in there, where Jesus repeatedly talks about the gift of the Holy Spirit that is going to come when he ascends to heaven, the Holy Spirit would come down. And he says, it is better for me to physically go to heaven and have the Spirit come than for me to physically stay here and that I am limited to physical locales, but with the Spirit, I can be with all of my people at once. And Jesus is reminding her, hey, Mary, I know you're, you're heartbroken over what, it, what you've witnessed, but here's the reality. I'm resurrected, I'm back, and there is no one who will ever take me away from you again. And that promise I made about the Holy Spirit, it is gonna come to pass just like this resurrection did, and that through the Holy Spirit, you can commune with me in love and know me to that, that level, that degree that you're haunting right there, you desire it, you want me so close. You can have that through the Spirit. You and every other person that seeks me, me and comes to know me by faith through grace every person and it can be greater than your wildest imagination that is available to those who are followers of Jesus Christ he loves you and he's provided this and I love how after she lets go the next thing that Jesus says to her he says go instead to my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my father and your father Go uh, um, to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. She's the first to proclaim it. I think this is such a beautiful testimony too to the veracity and the, the um, truthfulness, the authority of the New Testament. For them, as many historians have talked about the fact that the New Testament accounts of Jesus' life and especially his resurrection included things like females testifying to the resurrection of Jesus, which no historian of the time would have done thinking that women 
And that culture at that time could not give public testimony in a court of law in the Roman courtrooms. But yet, Jesus says, I'm going to pick you, Mary, former addict, demon-possessed woman who has been set free by Jesus. You get to go tell the boys, I'm back. And I'll always be here for you. And I love you. And I love that Mary didn't stand around and ask 20 questions. <laughs> she didn't fully understand. I mean, there's no way. How could she understand all that had happened? But what she did know is Jesus is back. He had resurrected and that everything he said was true. You see, Mary was more eager to believe and obey than to understand everything. And this is an admirable quality that we ought to follow Jesus with today. We need to be open to say, Let's, let me let Jesus redefine my expectations of him, of God, of life, of even things like sexuality and what's going to make me happy, what's going to fulfill me as a human being. Jesus came to say, let me help you with all that because I created you and I can help you to live the full, abundant life. But you've got to trust me. You've got to be willing to set your expectations, your filters aside and trust me. And it's beautiful what begins to happen when we do that. Here's the application prayer. I want to ask you to pray with me today. God, help me to have the kind of eager faith that believes and obeys even though I don't understand everything yet. Where in your life right now do you feel like, man, I'm struggling to trust God? This is really difficult, Will. This is the closest thing I've been to that, that kind of parallels or, or symbolizes the crucifixion. It feels like it is the death of a relationship. Maybe you're going through a divorce or you have gone through one. Maybe you're, you're watching a friend that you dearly love die of a sickness or you have watched them. Something horrible a setback, a heartbreak, gut-wrenching times in your life, and it is hard to say, where, where is Jesus? It's hard to see him. It's hard to, to stay hopeful, but you need to know that even though you can't see him, he is right there in front of you. Take that filter off and remind yourself, I will never leave you or forsake you, Jesus said. And maybe it's your vocal cords that God wants to use to remind your family, your friends, those around you, God hasn't left us alone. He has not abandoned us at this time. He has not left us alone. He is here. He loves us. He has got us. He will walk with us through this. It is these are the, these are the times when he is going to prove to us that faith is the anchor of hope that holds us steady during the storms of life that he is the rock upon which we can build the foundation of our life. In Matthew 7, the end, he tells us that even when the storms of life blow, they will not crack that foundation that will never be taken out from under you. It's the time to hold fast to him. Would you be willing to do that right now? I want to ask you if you would, in this time of prayer, that just lay your expectations to one side and say, Jesus, I want you more than my expectations. I want you more than all of the messages, the cultural 
expectations or presuppositions that I've been given through media, through entertainment, about who God's supposed to be, what he's supposed to be all about, what we should be able to do, whatever, to be able to set that aside and say, Jesus, I just want you. (laughs) I don't have to understand everything to believe and obey. Would you just tell him that right now? Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Brazos Valley, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our fabulous children's and student environments, visit us at brazosfellowship.com. That's brazosfellowship.com.